<laughs> yeah. Thank you. Where were you when Beijing was hosting the 2008 Olympics? I was in London watching the Beijing Olympics. Uh, I was in Qingdao at the time, so actually I was there during the, the sailing Olympic Games. I also saw the, the torch relay actually outside my office. I was in South Africa watching the Olympics um, from my home <laughs> with my family. Yeah, I was about 12 years old as huh. well. Yeah. <laughs> I was in Harbin. <laughs> really? <Yeah. laughs> I was studying Chinese. How did you like the Olympics? Watching the opening ceremony was my favorite. Watching uh, one of the athletes like walk around in the air. <laughs> yeah. The opening ceremony was, was fantastic. Yeah, it was really cool with all the fireworks at the, at the bird nest. The formations that they did, I mean, the whole world was like, wow, that's another level. I think that's where my, my love for Beijing came from at first as well. Really? Yeah. What would you call the biggest changes between these two Olympics? People have realized uh, how far China has come in such a short time. They've simply become more aware of what's going on in China as a country that's more important in the world than it used to be thought to be. I feel like, you know, changes happen overnight, especially. <laughs> so it's, it's really a very fast-paced country where you just blink your eyes and, you know, something new has happened. There are yeah. so many um, interesting things that you have here that actually we don't have in the U.S. Just like, I mean, Why My or mm. um, Didi, WeChat and Jirfubao, everything. China was very, um, maybe uh, trying very hard to establish itself as a big player for the last Olympics. Uh, today, China is already a big player. It's not so more about proving anything. It's more about, let's have some good games. That's it. How has China transformed itself since Beijing hosted its first Olympics? I'm Miao, and this is China Chat. In this episode, we not only hit the streets of Beijing, but also sat down with three expats who have experienced firsthand the many changes in this fast-paced country. That's the difficulty to film when you have a four years old. My name is Alessandro Golombievski Teixeira. I'm professor of public policy management at Xinhua. I've been in China for three years now. I live in the Chinese community. So my life has been changing as every single Chinese has been changing. What made you and your family decide to come to Beijing? I kind of have been coming to China since 1998. So I could observe the development of China, the changes of China. When we thought where we want to educate it and raise our daughter and to live for a long time, China was uh, our first option. How would you like her to grow up in China? I, I'd like to see her growing up as an international citizen, but with a very strong base in China. If you see the profile of the Chinese families, everything is about the education of their sons. Everything is to teach them to be better than the old generation. So I think uh, that's how I see the education of my daughter. Oh, I see. Are you planning to have your daughter educated in China? Yeah, she's already educated in China. She goes to kindergarten here at Tsinghua University. And she's going to go to primary 
school here and uh, until college and then she decides which college she wants to go but if she wants to stay in Tijuana I'm going to be very happy Tete, ó, papai vem embora, vem This is my everyday life. I take <laughs> breakfast and I go work. My name is Sandrine Duimana. Um, I come from Burundi. I work at China Africa Business Council um, and I head our international liaison department. I moved to China straight from high school. So I was 18 years old when I moved here. That was how many years ago? About 14 and a half years ago now. What was the city like back then? So I just, I felt like Beijing was just big and crowded, but also impressive, like it was still quite developed. There's been a lot of changes. What kind of changes have you seen since you arrived? The first thing I, I usually think of is subway, um, because when I moved to China in 2007, there were only three lines. 14 years later, I don't know how many subway lines, it's just the second thing I would say is just how people consume. Now things now have shifted from uh, in-person, shopping in-person to online. And then um, I would say, yeah, it's just gotten cleaner and cleaner. Um, of course, the Olympics um, 2008, I feel like was the beginning of like, you know, just making sure the, the city is clean. My name is Andy Mock. My family's from Hong Kong, and I grew up in the U.S. I've been living in Beijing for the last 12 years, from right after the 2008 Olympics. What made you come to Beijing in the first place? My first job in venture capital, I worked with someone who was the former bureau chief of the Wall Street Journal here in Beijing. One thing that he said way, way, way back when uh, that really stuck in my mind is that China is not only the world's biggest turnaround, but it's also the world's biggest startup. There were so many new things that people could do, try, experiment. Everything from brand new cities like Shenzhen to uh, new restaurant ideas, craft breweries, and obviously everything in between. So that was very, very exciting to me. And I think the main reason I stayed was that it pretty much lived up to everything that I was hoping to experience, hoping to do. Beijing, as the capital of China, has moved towards the center of the global stage. Over the years, there have been challenges as well. Um, we had a time where the air quality really was uh, horrendous. But we can see today that we only need to look out the window to see blue skies in Beijing today. And I think that's maybe another reason I stayed was I could also see the effectiveness of the government system here in its ability not just to set incredibly ambitious long-term goals, but to achieve them in a consistent and methodical way. How is life here different from your home country and other countries you have been traveling to? I do get to meet diplomats from all around the world. What many of them have told me is they're stunned at how safe and clean Beijing is. And that you can go anywhere, day or night, and not worry about your physical safety. I've had instances uh, where I think just because of a little bit of luck that bad things did not happen. 
where I've been in other parts of the world, and this has never happened to me in China. Where were you when Beijing hosted the uh, 2008 Summer Olympics? In Beijing, yeah. I was so in Beijing. experienced the whole thing? Experienced the, just everything that led up to the Olympics. I did go home for a month, but yeah, I was here with like everything, how the city was getting prepared for it. A lot of my friends were volunteers during the, the Olympics and when things were being built, like the bird's nest was when it was being built, I was here. I saw a Beijing pre-Olympics and post-Olympics are almost like a huge shift in, in the way um, the city looked. Um, I think Beijing definitely became a lot more international than it was before. The hype and the joy and the pride, um, that's also when they opened the airport, the Terminal 3. Now you have Daixing. I feel like Beijing really shifted from like one level to another in like a short period of time. I was in Beijing, I was in the opening. You were at the opening? Yes. I was the whole Olympic game here. I was uh, one of the leaders of the Brazilian delegation by that time. So I was lucky enough to be in the opening. It was amazing. It was a great show. I remember the guys with the drums and uh, it's in my memory. That's something that never goes away. And then I was here 2010 for the Expo Shanghai. I was happy enough to participate in both very few countries had the opportunity, especially developing countries. I learned a lot with two of these big events, with China, to, to help Brazil to prepare our nomination for those events. Do you like the idea of Beijing hosting another Olympics, this time in the winter? Oh, for sure. And I hope in the near future that I'm going to be alive, Beijing is going to host another Summer Olympics. Because for Latin America, and we don't have a lot of snow, we don't have a lot of delegations, we don't have winter. The most important is the summer. Now Beijing is getting ready for the second one. You are also hoping for a third one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm very happy that not just for the games itself, but it's also a good opportunity for Beijing to continue to, you know, to improve. And this time I will not leave China, I will not go home. I will be here to, to, yeah, to see as much as I can in person, yeah. I think China always stands out to me um, at the level of organization, like the level of how organized and how coordinated and how every minute, you know, is accounted for. When you assign China to host Olympics, like you can be assured that things are going to go well. So even with the pandemic, we know that China is not gonna, is going to take it seriously and is not going to be anything that's not prepared for. What would you call the biggest changes between the two Olympics? You know, in 2008, many people were awestruck um, by the pageantry of the Olympics. There was still the sense that I think was not incorrect. China still had a long way to go. Today, what happens in Beijing probably matters quite a lot around the world. And it's not just affecting China, but everywhere around the world. Entrepreneurs in China are setting the pace, meaning that it's not just entrepreneurs in India and in Southeast Asia looking to learn how to build technology products. 
But even in the United States, and you know, there's a joke uh, that started a couple of years ago, that if you want to know what Amazon is going to do in two or three years, look at what the tech companies in China are doing today. 14 years ago, many people in the West, investors in Silicon Valley in particular, would say, the opportunity in China is companies that can quickly copy what's going on in the U.S., and that was called, you know, C to C, copy to China. Um, and today, it's reversed. The government has been very, very responsive to fixing problems not only for entrepreneurs in China, but, you know, if you go anywhere, you go to a hospital today, you go to other government agencies, customer service is a priority. And I think the last thing that has changed dramatically is the presence and the visibility of the Communist Party of China. Look at where we are, right? <laughs> the party has really become much more visible. I was actually surprised when you said we could come and film here. So could you tell me a bit more about how you got involved in this organization? So we are here in the central business district um, party, I guess, workstation is how we would call it. I got to know some of the uh, government officials at the Chaoyang district in Beijing city. And they asked whether I could act as a consultant to help them understand how they could better support, in particular, foreign entrepreneurs to set up businesses, find customers, hire people, raise money in China. I think it's the development process itself. China has raised its level uh, in education, in culture, even in health. China is much more internationalized than it was before. The first place I arrived in China was Guangdong. This year I went to Dongguan and I couldn't find where I was because it changes completely. It's a new city like Shenzhen. What main changes have you seen in the past decade when it comes to relations between African nations and China? People-to-people -people relations have uh, deepened, like a lot of African students coming to China. And then at the same time, it's been a lot more Chinese people moving to African, African countries. Companies are not just trading with African countries, they're like going to Africa and establishing themselves, establishing their businesses. If you look around our offices, you can see noticed, you know, just yes. like these, these are things perhaps in the past you couldn't, you couldn't get in China, but you can you know, buy African art, African products. Um, currently drinking Rundan coffee <laughs> at the moment, um, which you can buy on, on Tiamal, on Taobao, yeah, on Pen. I want to be able to access more African products in China. So, in your opinion, what's the significance of the Winter Olympics to China and to the rest of the world, especially at this moment? To see COVID and Omicron around the world is a nightmare. In the Western countries, many people, in my opinion, stupidly, think, okay, it's my freedom. I don't think that way. Maybe that's why I live in China, okay? China did a tremendous job uh, protecting its people and offering help to around the world. Uh, athletes that prepare themselves for a lifetime. They are looking at the games. They want to be here for the games. So I think that's important, very, very important. That's why China 
is give an example how to do a safe uh, Winter Olympics, meaning that they took all the precautions that they could to do this. So they did the impossible in terms of organizing, especially in a large city like Beijing with more than 20 million people. There's been this so-called diplomatic boycott by a handful of countries um, and certain interest groups trying to raise issues that are really unrelated to the Olympics. But what I'm very happy to see is that uh, many of these athletes from all over the world, including the English-speaking countries, are saying, you know what, I want to tune out this noise from interest groups or the, the Western media that are amplifying it and say, I want to focus on what's important, which is the Olympics. How is it going to be benefiting not just athletes, but also the overall spirit? There are uh, effects that where this cannot be as complete an Olympics as some would like. Right? Olympics tend to be, of course, not just occasions where there are many spectators. So, you know, people come to visit a city and there's a great contribution to tourism. You know, hotels, restaurants, all this stuff, which you know, we won't see at this Olympics. But I think the main thing is that people that want to watch the Olympics will be able to. And that this is, I think, quite a feat. I personally am looking forward to the Winter Olympics. We still need to continue what we've always done for decades. And um, athletes need to continue to do what they've tr been trained for in their entire lives. We want our lives to continue um, to go on as much as possible in the Olympics and something that the whole world looks to um, often. Not a lot of countries will be able to do, to host Olympics in a period of a pandemic. So the significance lies in you know, showing uh, the capacity and capability of the country. It's something that only strong countries can actually achieve. And how do you think China becomes what it is today? I do believe that the Communist Party leadership is a fundamental, to not say the only fundamental, but is the center element why China become what it become. To me, is the leadership part, the education part, the planning part, its own political system. Many people say, oh, uh, China became a capitalist country. No, it didn't become a capitalist country. China is still a socialism with Chinese characteristics. Those characteristics are its people, its culture, its political system, its history.